Genesis chapter 50. I was watching the Republican National Convention on C-SPAN. Now, I'm not getting political here. But I heard a speech by a man named Brock Mueller. And he told a story about how back in 2007, he was probably around 16 years old, he was in a car with his dad and his brother and his brother's girlfriend, and they were driving to church on Christmas Eve when a car ran through a stop sign and hit them broadside, killing his father, killing his brother's girlfriend, and sending him to the hospital. He was there for eight and a half hours of surgery, and after the surgery, can you imagine this, this kid is around 16, or you know, think about it as Joseph's age when he was sold into captivity, 17, right? And the doctor comes to him after the surgery and says, you will never walk again. In fact, you know, I, if I was optimistic, I would say you might have a 1% chance of walking again. And, and that young man said, well, that's all I need. And he's a believer. And he was trusting God, and so he, he started the hard work of physical therapy. And, and he said it after that, because he walked out on stage, so it was obvious he walked again, but he didn't walk very well. And he said, God is the one who allowed him to walk again. And he said, God meant this for good. And God allowed this in his life. And you know, you think about that. He lost his dad. He lost a friend. He probably could never do anything the way he used to be able to do it. But he was still giving all the glory to God. In all things. Today, as we look at this last episode, and this is the last episode, you're probably all going, Yay, he's done! <laughs> but as we look at this last episode in the life of Joseph, my hope is for all of us to understand in a much deeper way God's providential care for each one of us as his children in every detail of our lives. Now in the area of Joseph's life, this is something that it seems like he had mastered. But in the area of the lives of his brothers, they still needed much improvement look at genesis 50 verse starting in verse 15 this is the word of god 
when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, for they did, wrong, did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. The first thing that we're going to look at this morning is sweet revenge with a question mark. Sweet revenge. You know, Jacob's sons had a new problem in their life. Their father had died. They were in a foreign land. They were probably feeling like everything's out of control. So what do they do? They begin to speculate by asking the question, what if? Look at verse 15. What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for the wrong which we did to him? They begin to speculate. And yesterday, it was interesting, I was watching TV and I saw a commercial. And the commercial was on what if. Because the husband and wife were away from their home. They were out on the lake fishing. And all of a sudden, the husband's eyes get big. And he goes, I forgot to close the garage door. And then he, then he says, what if? The teenager next door brings his rock band over to my garage and starts having a concert. And what if all of his friends come in our front yard? And what if they destroy our front yard? And the wife looks at him, pulls out her phone, and closes the garage door through her phone. And at the end of the commercial it says, for all of life's what ifs. Well, you know what? Jacob's sons didn't have a cell phone, did they? And so their father had died. And so what do they do? They start speculating just like their father did. Remember three weeks ago or two weeks ago? We talked about how Jacob did the same thing. He said, what if my son Benjamin goes down to Egypt and I lose him? My life will be over. I might as well, you know, I'll go to the grave and I will go to the grave in sorrow. So the brothers were doing the same thing. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this about speculation. It says, 
We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know, the brothers were filled with fear over their father's death. And before this, they must have been trusting their father that if Joseph would have stepped in to, to have revenge against them, they were trusting that their father would take care of them. But now that their father was dead, they speculated that Je Joseph would jump at the chance for revenge. But where did this come from? I mean, you go all the way back to Genesis 43, and all you see is Joseph loving his brothers. Remember when they came down, and, and he threw a big party for them? A feast? They washed their feet. He spoke kindly to them. He asked about the father's welfare. Everything he did for them was out of love, right? He showed forgiveness. And then, when they all came down, what did he do? He provided for them. He gave them a place in Goshen, right? He provided homes for them. He provided everything for them. So what put it in their mind that he hadn't forgiven them? Maybe their own guilt. Maybe they were still beating themselves up. But whenever we speculate, we stop walking by faith. And by our actions, what we're doing is we're telling God we don't trust Him. That we don't like the way He's doing things, and we don't like what's happening in our lives. And, and when we speculate, guess what else happens? We become fearful. Look at verses 19 and 21. Um, Joseph says, do not be afraid. In 21, he says, do not be afraid. He perceived what? That they were afraid. They were afraid because they were speculating. When we ask the questions, what if, when we look into the future with fear and say, what if this is going to happen? What if the garage door is open, right? We grieve the Holy Spirit, and we can be filled with fear, worry, anger, and bitterness. Then what do the brothers do? They give Joseph this story. And I don't know if it was a story, but they, they ask Joseph, they tell Joseph that before the father died, he told Joseph to forgive the brothers. Now, I don't know why they did this, because they may have been threatened and things were out of control. But did they need to do this? No. They needed to trust their heavenly father instead of trusting their earthly father. They needed to look at the circumstances of their life from God's perspective instead of their own. Finally, what they needed to do was love the one who had first loved them. They needed to love their brother. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says this, Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. One writer said this about these verses. He said, If there is a doubt about a person's guilt or motivation, love will always opt 
for the most favorable possibility. If a loved one is accused of something wrong, love considers him innocent until proven guilty. You know, Jacob's sons had already uh, wrongly judged Joseph's heart by believing that he wanted revenge. They thought the worst of him instead of believing the best. So what about you? Do you act like Joseph's, I mean, Jacob's sons? Do you automatically think badly of a person when they fail to acknowledge you, when they fail to speak to you or maybe to invite you to something? When they do something like this, do you think badly of them like the brothers did to Joseph? You know, when we speculate wrongly about what's motivating a person, it can get us into a lot of trouble. And as believers, it's a very unloving thing to do because you're not considering the other person guilty, I mean, innocent until they're proven guilty. Now, and even that, when they're guilty, what are we supposed to do? We're even supposed to love our enemies and forgive those who do wrong things to us. Well, Joseph allays their fears in verses 19 through 21. Look at that. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore... Do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You know, Joseph didn't stand in the place of God. God is the only one who can seek revenge. And God is the only one, right, who can infinitely forgive our sins. And if God had forgiven them, the brothers then Joseph was obligated to forgive them. And we talked about that last week. A thing which he had already done. He had forgiven them many years before. And this takes us to point two, which is, you meant it for evil. Notice what Joseph says in verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Joseph had already told the brothers this back in chapter 45. We looked at this last week. He said it three times to them. Three times. He said, your sin, what you did to me, didn't send me to Egypt, but God did. God sent me down here. And I don't think they got it. So, in Genesis 45, 5, He said this, he said, Do not be grieved and angry with yourselves. You know, he didn't want them beating themselves up. But he said this, Because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. He told them that three times. He's telling them that again. But I don't think they got it. So Joseph, because of his brother's fears, realizes that they need a refresher course in God's sovereign care. So he says this, 
you meant it for evil against me. Now, he wasn't saying that to rub their face, you know, into their sin. To say, look at what you did to me. He wasn't doing that. He was telling them this so that they would stop beating themselves up over the past. So that they, that they would see that God was greater than all of their sin. That he was not only able to forgive them of their sins, but is able even to counteract sin's detrimental effect so that it can turn out for the good. Now that doesn't mean that there are not consequences for sin. We all know that. In fact, the brothers had already seen that in chapter 49. When some of them weren't blessed as much by their father Jacob because of their sin. And what the brothers did to Joseph was evil. We're not calling evil good. There's no denying what they did was, was sin and was evil. And if you remember, the brothers were jealous of Joseph because of Jacob's love for them. They were envious because of the position that Joseph was given over them as their overseer. And then God gives Joseph dreams which he tells his whole family, which I believe God told him to do. And the brothers hated him even more. You see, all of this was the catalyst that drove the brothers to the place of selling their own flesh and blood into slavery. So that they can see the glory of God that God is so powerful that he can even take sin and turn it for good. And that's what he did by sending Joseph down to Egypt to provide for his family during this famine. And not only did he provide for his family, but he provided for all of Egypt. He provided for all the world. After Or was it longer? What I've been preaching for about the past year and a half is not just relevant for Joseph. You know, it's not just relevant for Adam and Eve or Seth and Noah and Abraham, Moses, King David. We, you know, we think of all these guys and we think, you know, they're the, they're the big ones. They're you know, they're the ones that God works all things together for good. You know, they're, they're, you know, many of them are in the line of Christ. So God has to do all that. He has to work all things together for good for them, right? So many times we, we um, think that's the only ones God does this with. And that leads us to the third point, which is God meant it for good. God meant it for good. Listen to what Romans 8.28 says. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And this is the part many people leave out. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Why does he do that? To conform us into the image 
of His Son to make us more like Him. One writer says this. He says, First, God is working for the good of those who love Him. He's working in all of our lives, this. This is what Joseph saw. On the surface, he saw much that looked bad. I think here of Elizabeth Elliot, who saw numerous reversals in her early years as a missionary, and then endured the loss of two husbands, one murdered by the Aka Indians, and the second slowly destroyed by cancer. Reflecting on these experiences, this woman wrote, The experiences of my life are not such that I can infer from them that God is good, gracious, and merciful necessarily. To have one's husband murdered and another one disintegrate body, soul, and spirit through cancer is not what you would call a proof of the love of God. In fact, there are many times when it looks like just the opposite. But this is not how a Christian judges things. By sight, not at all. My belief in the love of God is not by inference or instinct, she wrote. It is by faith. To apprehend God's sovereignty working in that love is, we must say, the last and highest victory of faith that overcomes the world. Faith is the victory. Faith looks at our trials from God's perspective instead of our own. And sometimes we will not see in this lifetime how a certain trial is for our good. But we can know by faith that it is. And by faith we know that when God says He works all things together for good, He means all things. You know, that includes where you were born. That includes your parents, and even if you didn't know them. Your childhood, good or bad. Your work, or your lack of work. Your education. Your spouse, or if you're single. Your looks, your riches, your poverty, your friends, your enemies, the success and tragedies of your life, if you were a victim, all of these are included in the all things in Romans 8, 28. And for Joseph, those included being hated by his brothers and being sold into slavery. Now, I don't know the all. I do know some of you, but I don't know the all in your life. I don't know the all of your past, and I don't know the all of your present. And I don't, of course, know the all of your future. All things. But God does. Do you believe that God can take these things that have happened to you and work them for good? Maybe you need a little bit more evidence. You know, I've, I've given you evidence from the life of Joseph. We've talked about Job. We've looked at King David. We've looked at the Apostle Paul. But the greatest evidence of all 
is in the Gospels. It's in the cross. You know, the cross is the most wonderful illustration of you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. How is that? Because Satan was trying to destroy the work of Christ through the incarnation since his birth. You remember what happened in Bethlehem, don't you? And finally, on the morning of his crucifixion, he gathers together all these religious leaders, and they hold this kangaroo court where they falsely accuse Christ. And it's a court full of these religious, evil men who convict the innocent, sinless Son of God and sentence him to die on the cross. This was the most evil act in all of history. Now you, you might say, what? Worse than Hitler's, right? Crimes. Worse than Stalin's slaughtering of the innocent. Why was this the most evil act? Because evil men had the audacity to stand in judgment of the innocent, sinless Son of God and condemn Him to death on the cross. But God. What did God do? What did God the Father do? He intervened. And He took what was evil, the cross, and he made it into the sign and symbol of our redemption. He took what was evil and he made it into the greatest of good for the redemption of his people, the church. Amazing. But that's how powerful and how glorious our God is. In closing... My brother, 19 years ago, attended Palm Beach Junior College. Um, and he came home one day, visibly upset. And he told my mom, who had been a psychiatric nurse many years before this, that the birds on the wires were talking about him, and his professors were plotting against him. Well, my mom knew right away that my brother was showing the first signs of being paranoid, schizophrenic. And this was his first psychotic break with reality. And you know, this is a parent's, any parent's worst nightmare. where all they can do is they feel like they can watch their child's life fall apart in utter chaos as they watch helplessly. What was my mom's reaction to this? Well, she wasn't a Christian at the time. And she said, if God will do this to my child, I don't want to have anything to do with him. You know, in other words, what she was saying is, how could a good God allow this evil into my son's life. So 
my mom was angry for quite some time until finally she was invited to this Bible study and during the study, uh, the lady, the teacher said this one thing that stuck with my mom. It said, she said, God will even take the life of your child to get your attention. And this teacher was revealing the idols that can be in an unbeliever's life that keep them from God. They're also in believers' lives. Well, this struck home with my mom, and she became a Christian a short time later. The worst thing in my mom's life became, in a sense, one of the best things because it drew her and the rest of our entire family to Christ. From my mom and what I've learned from my dad in recent days is we need to see all our trials from God's perspective. We need to trust Him in every circumstance of life and know that His love for us will never fail. Even when we fail in the trial, which we do, don't we? His love will never fail. Joseph lived by this principle. His entire life was built on this principle. And he was trying to give this to his brothers. And he has given it to us through the book of Genesis. That no matter what we face in life, God is good all the time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Because with, without it, we would be without hope. Father, as we face the trials of our lives, uh, many times we, we want to give up. We want to turn and run. Father, thank you for your word, which strengthens us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us and empowers us. Thank you for your love, which never fails us. Father, help us to continue to walk by faith and not by sight, and help us to know that as we face the trials of life, we face them for your glory and for your honor, as Christ did for us. Thank you, Lord, for doing that for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have and the righteousness that you have given us that's not our own. We praise you, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.